Thank you for tuning into our generosity series called If I Were a Rich Man. Generosity is not primarily something that we do, but is an expression of who we are, and it begins long before we give. And so we get to give as a response to faith, not as a requirement of faith, and we really hope that you enjoy this message. We're in a series called If I Were a Rich Man. And, exactly. And the irony of this statement is that we already are. So we're asking a question that already has been answered. We are rich. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that for our sake, Jesus became poor, so that through his poverty, we might be made rich. Now, that's the gospel of Jesus. That's the truth of the Bible. But practically and statistically, we are within the top 1% of global wealth. All right. Week one, we looked at that just by way of a platform. If you didn't get a chance to hear week's one, week one's message, please jump online, YouTube, and you can catch up on that. But we spoke about different mindsets. So although we're talking about money in this series, and I love the fact that as a church, we're not scared to talk about money. All right. Because the reality is, even though we're speaking about money, what we're wanting to emphasize is mindsets. Because so often our apprehension to the subject of money is because of preconceived ideas or mindsets. And so we're wanting to kind of speak into that a bit. Week one, we looked at the bag, the basket, and the barn, different mindsets around money. The bag is, there's never enough. It's just everything is hard. There's never enough. The basket is, there is enough. There's a little bit extra. The basket kind of was like, what I have is mine, but what I give away can be multiplied by God. That's quite cool. Second week, you're going to check that out. And then obviously, uh, sorry, week one. And then obviously the third was the barn mindset, which was simply this. It's not that we have access, it's that he does. He owns the keys to the barn. But we, by the grace of God, have been given access to it through Jesus. And so there is this barn mindset that understands there is access in the kingdom of God, which we have access to because of Jesus, not because of anything we've done. Week two, we spoke about the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, one of my favorite scriptures. One guy gets one, one guy gets two, one guy gets five, and it's never about what they got or what they have. It's about what they do with what they have. And so we spoke about the parable of the talents, progressive stewardship. The idea was to build on your blessings. In other words, don't be scared by what's been entrusted to you. Don't sit on it as we spoke about. Steward it. Take, take what God has given you and through wise counsel, through effective uh, practice, whatever it looks like, steward it. Build it up. And so it was amazing. Today I want to talk about the extravagance of faith or the fragrance of faith. The title of my message is quite simply this, John 12. And the reason I've called it that is because it's taken from a story in John 12 that I never want you to forget. It's one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. In other words, every time you ever think of what might have been spoken about in church today, I want you to think John 12, the story where Mary, ordinary Mary, broke traditional norms to express an extravagance in her worship to Jesus. You ready with me? Tap your neighbor and say, it's going to be a good day. I like to build faith in the house before we hear God's word. Here we go. John chapter 12, verse 1 says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus entered Bethany where Lazarus, so recently raised from the dead, was living. It's like, it's a throwaway line unless you stop and realize what just went down. Lazarus, who was dead, is back. And Jesus come into his house. He was living. Lazarus and his sisters invited Jesus to dinner at their home. Martha served. Lazarus was one sitting. One translation says reclining at the table. He wasn't like sitting on edge at the table. He was reclining. You know like when someone realizes the power of God at work in them. They're no longer, no longer like on edge. Like what am I going to do? How's it going to be? Does God love me? Doesn't he love me? Should I be in church? Shouldn't I be in church? Lazarus is like, look guys, this guy got power. I had nothing. Told me to come out. 
I walk out there, I was like dripping with bandages and all that kind of stuff. Told me I'd wrap those too. It was scary, y'all. It was Arab mixed with a bit of gangster. It's hard to say. And now he's sitting at the house. Jesus is with him again. And Lazarus is not like, what do I need to do to be a Christian? Where do I need to go? How's it doing? How am I, doing? How am I ranking? What Lazarus is just reclining. He's at ease. Okay, can I help some of you who are in church today? Please do not be on edge in this house. Be at ease. Tap your neighbor, sir. At ease, sir. I don't think the church should be a place where God's people sit on edge. We don't need to question how we're doing. We were Lazarus in the story. We were dead in our transgressions, but Christ, by His love for us, has called us out of the very thing that buried us to live a life for Him. Be at ease. His power is at work in you. Whether you've just arrived today, whether you've been doing this for 25 years, I want you to know that every expectation on your life has been disarmed by the cross. It was fulfilled in Christ. Be at ease. Lazarus, that's just my intro. Lazarus was at ease. Mary, I wanted to call this message, there's something about, but then I knew you guys would all think that's lame and you know, anyway, Mary came in with a jar of very expensive aromatic oils. My translation actually says, came in with a pint of oil. I thought we could call this message the power of a pint. And I realized there's not a rugby game. There's no point in going there today. We're in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Three people in the room are like, what is he even up to? I'm just having fun. The Bible was meant to be enjoyed, friends, not endured. All right, I'm having some fun with you. And so Mary walks in to Lazarus' house. Take your name and say, at ease, sir. If nothing else, just realize this is just a place where you can be at ease. And Mary walks in with a pint of very expensive aromatic oil, anointed, and then she massaged Jesus' feet, and then she wiped them with her hair. The fragrance of the oil filled the house. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, even then getting ready to betray Jesus, said, why wasn't this oil sold and the money given to the poor? It would have easily brought 300 silver pieces. He said this not because he cared two cents about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of their common funds and also embezzled them. And Jesus said, let her alone. I think God wants to say to men and women in this house today when it comes to the extravagance with which we give to God, when it's questioned by society, maybe it's even questioned in our own hearts, I feel like God wants to step into that zone and say, leave it alone. This is not waste. This is worship. And what's happening in this story is that Mary has stepped into a room, can I just say, in which she is not welcome by societal norm. She is not welcome to be in the room as a woman in society, let alone let her hair down. Women never let their hair down. Mary's broken both rules, poured out expensive perfume all over the feet of Jesus. What looks like a disaster is actually one of the greatest displays of devotion that we see in the scriptures. Can I help you with extravagance today? Let's pray. God, I thank you that there is a message of extravagance caught to the gospel of the good news. And God, I wanna say my heart is open to receive from you. If there is more you have for me, by what I bring to you, God, I want to receive that today. And so we're open. Our ears are tuned in. We say yes to what you have to say. May you break an extravagance over this house today. And may the fragrance of that moment fill not just this room, God, but this city and our homes and our lives and in this nation, perhaps in its most turbulent time in a while. God, may the fragrance of faith, the fragrance of heaven, the extravagance of our hearts, may it shift the atmosphere of this nation. In Jesus' name. 
quite excited about this message, I must say. It's close to my heart. Extravagance is definitely something I want to be known for as a church. Not, not, not wasted money, but extravagant worship. I want to talk about extravagant worship. I want to talk about the kind of extravagance that fills the atmosphere. Have you ever been like kind of blessed by someone in a way that you just feel like this is overwhelming? I mean, Tess and I have, to be honest, at no stage of our lives do we ever feel like we deserve what we have, honestly. Like, there's stuff we've worked for, and I could almost quantify that. And then there's stuff that we haven't worked for, and I don't understand it. There are blessings we've been given that are so extreme that I almost don't know what to do with them. And in some ways, I'm not sure that I need to know what to do with them. It's just to worship and thank God because of them. There's something about a heart that responds to the extravagance of heaven with just this worshipful spirit. Just, God, I don't even know why I have this, but I'm going to give you worship in this moment. Mary is one of these people, and there's an extravagance to her life that I believe God wants to get into the church. Now, it's interesting that we're doing a money series at, I believe, quite an extreme, uh, interesting, disconnected, down cycle in our economy in South Africa. I, I, I'm not blind to the news. I read the same news you read. I see, I see big companies taking strain. I see an incredible businessmen and women tightening down. I see, I see homes being sold by need of finances that aren't there. I, I do. I see all this. I'm, I'm aware of it. And I, and I wonder why in the midst of the season we're in, God stirred it in to talk about stewardship and generosity. And not if I were a rich man, but how do I be the rich man that I already am? Because the irony is, we already are. And so it's a perspective, it's a mindset. And I think today in Mary's story, there's going to be something that comes out of it that totally blesses you. Are you ready for it, church? I'm excited. Here we go. Three big ideas, monuments, mindsets, and moments. Three things I want to talk about today, monuments, mindsets, and moments. I believe that talk around this idea of extravagant generosity as we close out this series that breaks open in rooms. You can, you can call that room what you want. It could be your house, it could be your business, it could be your relationships, it could be this church, it could be this nation. But I believe that there is an extravagant generosity that breaks open a fragrance in society that is beautiful. Three things about it through the story of Mary that are gonna to come to us now. First is monuments, write this down. Heaven rewards the kind of generosity that reaches hearts. Heaven always rewards, I've learned this, the kind of generosity that reaches or goes after human hearts. Heaven always rewards those that leverage their wealth or leverage their increase to be a blessing to the human soul, to see them come alive. Heaven always rewards this. It's interesting in Acts 10, there's a story told of the early church where um, Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, has this idea that Peter, who is now preaching the gospel of Jesus, this, this radical, scandalous news of grace that ordinary people are going to have access to, access to extraordinary abundance. It's the gospel, right? And Peter's preaching this message at this stage to the Jewish nation, and, and there's this whole thing unfolding, and Cornelius, a Roman centurion, an unlucky man, decides Peter needs to come and preach it, not just to these people, but to the Gentile people. Gentiles back then, or even now, would be people like you and I, people of non-faith or irreligious, if you like, people. And Cornelius' house and this moment in his life is the doorway to the message that is transformative. By the way, if, if you're new to church 
and, and someone's invited you and you're just checking it out or maybe you're still figuring it out, I want to tell you, friends, this church is seriously not about me, our worship team, or the amazing people that serve you. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that transforms the inner parts of our lives and, re- and releases in us a life we could never have dreamt of. All right? And, and so that message, Cornelius is like, I wanted to get to everyone. I don't want it just to be certain sections of society. I want everyone to get this. And listen to this. Cornelius then brings Peter into his home. And Peter goes for the first time into places the message has never been and starts to reach Gentile hearts. If it weren't for those moments, I kind of wonder if it would ever have reached us. And I'm so grateful for Cornelius. But what surprises me about Cornelius' story is when it's told, listen to the two things that we remember Cornelius for. Acts 10 verse 31 says this. Cornelius, your daily prayers, one, and neighborly acts, other translations say alms or generosity toward others. Your prayers and your generosity toward others have brought you God's attention. I love how, in fact, the one translation says, Cornelius, your your prayers and your generosity have become a monument in heaven. In other words, God remembers Cornelius' prayers and his generosity. It's kind of like the signature of his life. It's kind of like the guy that gave this message to people that didn't deserve it. The guy that opened it to you and I receiving it was remembered for two things. You know what they were? Prayer, and I'm grateful for a praying church. And generosity, and I'm grateful for a generous church. Because you know what I know to be true? There are people sitting in this room today, honestly, who perhaps would never have encountered the love of God had it not been for faithful and generous people that built this place, created an environment where people can come as they are to access this undeserving grace through Jesus. It's the only reason we built this church, by the way. It wasn't so that we could have a place to hang out on weekends, although I do love seeing you guys. I kind of get excited about Sundays. But it was so that people that didn't know Jesus loved them or didn't know they had access to what Jesus died for could come and receive that in this house. Friends, Cornelius had that same spirit. And Cornelius had two things about him. He was prayerful and he was generous. I want to suggest today that there is something about a generous spirit that builds up in heaven monuments. It's like God remembers the generosity of his people. It's like he smiles upon generous acts. And here's what I know. Sometimes we act generously toward the church or toward people or toward society, and then we have this kickback. I'm not sure I should have done that. I don't know if that was wise. I don't know if that, I want to tell you, friends, don't worry about how you feel. Heaven remembers the acts of generosity. There is something about that movement toward others in generosity that heaven gets excited about. Tap your neighbor and say, I knew it was a good move. I knew it was a good move. I love how Cornelius, his spirit was generous. I love how this house's spirit is generous. Just in these last two months, you may know the stories we have sown into or given financially into five churches. In fact, just last weekend, um, we took up an offering. If you were in this church, I'd never done it before. Uh, we, we put the buckets, at the, normally it's at the end of the service. People leave and you have an opportunity to give if you feel led to do so. Giving is always a response. It's not a requirement in this church, it's a response. So when you feel God is stirring something in you, we respond accordingly in faith and our finances. And so we always do it at the end of the service. But last week I felt compelled to put the buckets up front and as the worship team prayed, I, 
I encourage people to come forward as an act of worship and give with generosity and give with excess. I want to tell you the stories we heard, not from the money that landed in the buckets. By the way, that's not coming into Link Church. That's going into a church that's busy building a building in Joburg as we speak. But what I wanted to say was the stories that came in were not about the buckets that were filled. It was about the hearts that were changed. Because there's something that happens when I get over my need to control the outcome of what I produce and I generously give toward a, a cause bigger than my own. And guess what, friends? Not only was your heart changed, but a monument went up in heaven. I'll remember that moment. I love that we're that church. I'll be honest. People think we're crazy sometimes. You know the one time, I'll tell you a cool story. I'll tell you in case no one else appreciates it. But... Um, we, uh, we had been going as a church for about six months, and um, we had 30,000 rand in the bank account. True story. Six months old, 30,000 rand in the bank account. We thought we were flying. And we had a prayer meeting that week, which is the first of what Cornelius brought to the table. We had a prayer meeting that week, and we felt God say to us, I want you to be generous with your resources. So we kind of said, all right, God, what does generosity look like? He said, I want you to draw it all and give it away. And we had 30 grand. We, we kind of, we were saving up for a building, you know. <laughs> what were we thinking? But we had 30,000 rand. We drew it all in cash, and we put 500 rand into envelopes, all right? 60 envelopes of 500 rand. Mathematicians, you're happy, 30 grand, all right? And so we took that money, and that week in church, we had 52 people in church. I'll never forget. And we gave that, that 500 rand envelopes. Each person that came to church got an envelope, and they had one responsibility, go and bless somebody other than yourself, so we took money that was in our account, we cleaned it out, we put it in people's hands, and we said, this was never given for us. It was always given for others. Take what's in your hands and go and give it to someone. I think out of 52, we had 11 great stories, if I'm honest. Most people probably had a good lunch that day. But, but those 11 stories were amazing. Someone paid for their domestic worker's son to go to school. Someone put windows in their home. Someone helped a family member that had been going through a crisis find help with a psychologist. It was just awesome how people took that thing. And, and you know what we realize? People don't realize what's in their hands. And until we're, we're charged with the idea of doing something with what we have, we don't realize the power it holds. I hope to give you some clarity today. Your generosity, friends, holds great power. In fact, it builds the kind of monuments God still speaks of today. Grateful for a generous church. Second thing I want to talk about when it comes to extravagance is money mindsets. Now, here's a cool thought. There's this word in church. It's the word tithe, all right? Tithe refers to a tenth of, okay? I want to just bring a little bit of clarity to the word tithe for just a moment. We're in the series. It's a good time to clarify something that I think is often misunderstood. Here's the understanding I think sometimes we create when it comes to being generous with our wealth. And when I say wealth, I'm talking money, I'm talking about time, I'm talking about all of who we are, all right? But of course, money is involved. But when it comes to being generous with money, often what we feel is we have to give everything. And so you may have sometimes heard the language of you need to sell it all and give it to God. You need to get over it being yours and give it to God. Now, as kind of inspirational as that sounds from a distance, it seems crazy. And it's not what I read in the Bible. He didn't ask me to sell it all. He asked me to bring a tenth. You know why? Because a tenth for him is everything. In other words, when you bring a tenth of what you have, he sees it as everything you have. So for sure, to say everything I have is God's is an accurate statement. 
But to suggest that he's asking you to give up everything you've worked for is ridiculous and untrue. He's calling for a tenth. Why? Because one over ten equals everything. One over ten equals everything. And I don't think we realize in the church the power of that ten. I think we see it as a, some can do it, some can't do it. I won't do it unless I feel like doing it. Um, I don't like the fact that's Old Testament. That's what, we come up with, come on, let's be honest. We've we got so many reasons not to do it. I don't want to give you, I don't want to necessarily give you a reason to give a tenth of your money. I just want to help you see when you give one ten, God sees it as everything. It's like you've just given your whole life to him when you just bring that sliver. That's power. You mean, okay, let me read some scriptures to help you with this. Romans eleven sixteen says it like this. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits, in the Old Testament, we often read first fruits as a tenth or a tithe. It's often the same language. If a part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Here's the picture. When I bring one tenth of my life to God, Time, talents, treasure. When I bring him my best, my first fruits, my one-tenth, when I bring him one over ten, he sees it as everything. Here's the picture. When the root is healthy, the trunk grows, the branches grows, the leaves grow, and the fruit is... I don't need to worry about producing fruit when I've put my root in the right soil. Amen? And, and I've learned this in my life. I, I think you should know that Tess and I, as your pastors, we believe in tithing. And, and just disclaimer. I, I'm not putting any pressure on anyone. If you feel a pressure to tithe, don't do it. If you feel like this is a moment for you to trust God with everything by giving Him one-tenth, by all means, step out in faith. But please don't hear, if you don't, God won't. In fact, do you know some people would say, if I don't give my first tenth to God, you mean God curses my finances. God doesn't curse anything. In fact, it says in Genesis, when man and woman sinned, the ground in which they, they stood and the ground that they sowed, it said the ground, the earth is cursed, right? And what Jesus came to do is redeem what's being cursed. In other words, he's not cursing anything. He's just redeeming. So when you bring your one-tenth, he redeems the difference. Am I making sense today? I feel like I'm preaching good. Maybe two people in the room are enjoying it, but I, I feel like I'm having fun because I don't think we realize the power of one over ten. And so Romans is reminding us that when we, we're faithful with the root in the right soil, so the tree produces the fruit that we could never have dreamed of. As I said, Tess and I, we have a passion for being generous, but we believe fundamentally in tithing. We believe that it's good and helpful and that our fruit trees will flourish when our seed or our tenth is in good soil. And so we give that to the local house because that's what God calls for. Listen to this Genesis 14 Abraham, who is the man of faith, uh, blessed Abraham. The Bible tells us in Genesis 24, Abraham had access to all things. Last time I checked, I only got some of them. It says Abraham was the most wealthy. Just such a beautiful picture. And listen to his story. Verse 18 of Genesis 14. Melchizedek, who is king of Solomon, which is actually a picture of Jesus, brings out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high. He blessed 
Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Abraham had just received a victory for a battle that he couldn't fight. God gave him a victory. And Melchizedek, who represents Jesus, said, Blessed are you, Abraham, who just had this victory. And listen to this. So God blessed Abraham, so Abraham gave a tenth of everything. By the way, if you have this thought that that is in the Old Testament, it doesn't count. This is 400 years before the law was given. It's got nothing to do with requirement. It was a relational way. It's a principle of heaven. It was a relational way of Abraham acknowledging, God, when I give you a tenth, the rest remains mine still. The rest is blessed. It, there's just something about this that I don't want to miss. There's something about generosity that we if I don't, will you not? No, God's not like that. But as I do, God fulfills. In fact, quite interesting thought, the Hebrew word for tithe is the word masar. If you take out the M, you're left with this word asar, which is rich. So in actual, in actual fact, in the actual word tithe is the word rich. So many would say that our riches are actually held in the presence of a tithing people. That was a side note for anyone who wants to take it home. I love it how someone once said, you don't have to tithe. It's not a requirement. It's a privilege. Tithing is not, someone actually said like this, tithing is not for everyone. I like that. It's only for those who want to live in the blessing of God. See, in Jericho's story, Jericho was the first city. Let me show you a few times this one in 10 plays out. God, it's just a principle. God just, it's a relational principle. God wants us to understand if the root is healthy, the rest is blessed. And so Jericho is the first city in the promised land of 10 big cities that they will take out, all right? What does God say about Jericho? Joshua, when you get into Jericho, I'm gonna circle you around the wall. You're gonna sing a few things. Trumpets are gonna sound. Walls are gonna come down. You're gonna get what you didn't fight for. And when you do, don't take anything. The first city is mine, first of 10. The next, the next Joshua, the next nine. The next nine. You get to enjoy. But I want you to bring me the first because there's a relational principle in that when the first is given, the best is given, the rest is blessed. Thank you, Jesus, that you're kind like that, that you don't ask for it all, just a tenth. What about the story of Joshua and Caleb as spies? They go into the promised land. I've never read it like this before. This will fascinate you. They go into the promised land. The Bible says they bring back grapes. It says grapes so big the branch couldn't sustain it. Like I'm talking about like fruit, people. Like I'm talking about like watermelon-sized grapes. Picture that for just a moment. It's like an animated heaven. And they go into this promised land and they bring back grapes. It's like bending on the branch and they bring them back to them as a, as a sign of there's fruit in that land. You've heard that story? The land is good, and so they speak about grapes, and all the people here is giants, and so they get stuck, and they never go into land. But what if there was more going on than the fact that the grapes represented the land of promise? What if those grapes were coming out of the harvest of that land? In other words, that land was in harvest time. The size of the grapes, the beauty of the grapes, the readiness of those grapes was a picture of the fact that that land was in harvest. And Joshua and Caleb, they understood the first fruits of the harvest go where? to the Lord. So they brought them back. Yes, there's reference. There's good stuff on that land. But more than that, they brought it back as the first fruits. And they put it before the temple where Moses stood and said, this is a good land. Why? Because they knew the rest of it was theirs now. Amen. Someone said when you're dating, I'm gonna, 
try and help some people today. Um, you know, when you hold a hand, one hand from a distance, it's like you think you're doing great. She could be totally disinterested. You know what I mean? Anyone like, man, first time you hold her hand, you're like, whoo, breakthrough. But last time I checked, no one ever proposed with one hand. Hey, girl, I'm thinking about marrying you. How do we propose? Well, I guess if you're that guy, you know, you're on your knees, what you got? Two hands, what you got? Ten fingers. Somebody said when you got her ten, the rest is yours. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I just thought I'd help people today. I just want you to see, guys, money doesn't have to be a monster. Money has been given to us as a gift. It's a trading commodity. In fact, the Bible is clear. Money is not evil. Money is not evil. The love of it is. And we get so caught up in what I have and what they expect of me and what I don't have and how much they got and what I should have had because they didn't. Actually, you have so much in your hands right now and there are certain principles that will create more wealth for you. One of them is when you give one over 10, the rest, everything is seen by God and he blesses it. The last thing I want to talk about as I close this series, and I really don't want to end it, but this picture I hope will be ingrained in your minds forever, is I want to go back to the story of Mary. You're probably wondering, what happened to Mary? Like we heard about Cornelius, we got a little bit about Abraham, what happened to Mary? I think what Mary was going through in that moment was a reference to what we've discussed in the others. She had a bit of Cornelius in her. There was a generosity in her that overflowed. She understood Abraham would bring his best and God would bless the rest. And so Mary was doing that. This wasn't a random moment in time, friends. Mary understood the heart of God. Remember the other story where it says Martha and Mary were in the room and Martha was out serving and getting the house ready. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you're busy with many things. Mary is concerned with the one thing, which was to be with me. And so there's... This is Mary. I mean, there is something about Mary. But Mary's now in this moment where she breaks expensive perfume and she pours it over Jesus' feet. By the way, we're six days out from Jesus' burial. The end is coming. Well, at least as most would see it. We're six days out from Jesus' burial and they're throwing a party in honor of them. Lazarus is chilling there going, love this guy. Mary's still sitting at Jesus' feet and it says Martha is serving again. Now Martha is awesome. Serving is awesome. But could it be that God whispered something to Mary that helped her understand what was gonna go down that led her to break what we're told is a year's worth. The value of that perfume was a year's worth of wages. It's not like a quick spray. She's broken what they call expensive nard from India. It's beautiful. It would be a very sought after, and they would keep this for the day of burial, and they would use it as a way of honoring the burial site or the burial moment. And Mary, six days ahead of time, breaks expensive perfume. Let me tell you a few other things about the story. Mary was a woman. I think you figured that part out. She shouldn't have been in the room. I didn't I tell you that part of the story? They weren't involved in moments like that in those societies. Mary's there. 
What's up with Mary? That's why Martha's serving. She feels that's where she should be. But Mary breaks the traditional norm, and she's sitting at Jesus' feet. So she's a woman who's broken the norm. All are sitting at the table. She's sitting at his feet. She is way closer than what society would like to see. Not only is she close to Jesus' feet, her hair's down. Women would not let their hair down in that society. Friends, this, this picture is like the ultimate picture of freedom. It's like Mary walks into the room as if to say like, I know you guys got opinions and I know you don't think how this should go and I know you're all saving up your big ammo for the one day when, but he whispered in my ear when you weren't watching. When you guys were doing your thing, he whispered in my ear, yes, he's gonna get killed, but guess what? They're gonna raise him up. So I'm not gonna wait to waste my perfume on an empty grave. I'm gonna burn it up right now in this moment while I'm with him in the presence of you people. And she walks into the room and she gets down at his feet and she's like, all right, I don't care about the people in the room. I don't care that they don't think I should be here she undoes her hair it drops down talking about letting her hair down and she pours out this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and begins to wipe it and it says the fragrance fills the room now I thought it'd be helpful to express this practically because I think sometimes we read the Bible story like a fantasy it's a cool story. What do you mean by that? So I have a very kind volunteer named Nikki Stone. Give it up for Nikki Stone who's going to help. And what it says is she took the bottle of expensive perfume. The bottle would have had a, a narrow neck and a wide spout. And it says she breaks the bottle. She opens it up. Mm, I'm going to just give this thing a good go. By the way, this is Esimyaki. Any ladies know what that is? Man, if you don't write it down, it's going to bless you, all right? So anyway. I imagine she would have taken her time as well. Almost there. So good. Last one was easy. There we go. And she breaks the neck. And Mary holds the perfume in her hands. And she walks through a room full of people. Now, I wanted this moment to be almost awkward because I think it might have been in the story. In fact, when I bought the perfume yesterday, I got to the counter and I was going to spend the money on this expensive perfume, by the way. <laughs> and even as I was about to swipe my card, I was like, is this the dumbest decision you ever made? Could this be the worst sermon? And I thought even that was part of the sermon. The fact that it was difficult for me is what makes this so powerful. It would have been difficult for Mary. We read the story like, oh, Mary, well done. You took, well done, Mary. Let your hair down. And watch what she does. Mary gets down in front of Jesus. Everyone's at the table laughing, joking. It's going to be a great day. Jesus is here. Lazarus in the room. And she pours out the expensive perfume. She leaves nothing. She pours it out. And as she starts to pour it out, the whole room, and those around you this moment will start to smell the smell of esimiyaki in the room. But as she does this, so this fragrance starts to fill the room. Friends, I want to tell you, this is the most precious thing she could have done. She shouldn't have been there. And she takes her hair. Hair is precious to a woman. She wipes it up and down his feet. And every time I picture this moment, I get caught up in tears. 
because I wonder what it's going to take for me to break my perfume on Jesus' feet. The last thing I want to talk about today is moments. She had a moment and she used it. And it was precious. And I wonder how many moments pass us by. You meet someone that God stirs you to be a blessing to. You're in a church moment and you know there's something coming up. And God just challenges you. Break it. In fact, I read this message and someone said, if it ain't broke, what's the word? Don't fix it, right? He said, no, if it ain't broke, break it. Because sometimes we've, we've built such a perfect, in our minds at least, display of our love for God. It needs to be broken. When I asked Nick to do this, I thought, Eesh, I don't know if I'd want to buy the perfume to start with, wipe my hair in it. But that's the whole point. There's many things I don't know if I want to do. But when I do do them, I can smell that fragrance. I'm actually quite enjoying it right here. And the fragrance fills the room. And you know, Jesus goes on and says this. It says, Jesus, Judas says to Jesus, what a waste. He's lying. We could have sold and give it to many people. Honestly, friends, when I bought this, I thought this might even be a waste. But that's the whole point. Because Judas called it a waste. You know what Jesus called it? Worship. Can I help you with something? Extravagance toward him is never a waste. It's always worship. For sure, we can be extravagant with the wrong things and it can be wasted. But extravagant toward Jesus, toward his bride, toward his people, it's never a waste. It's always worship. You know what he says to them? He says, Judas, get out of here. Let it be. I know you think it's a waste, Judas, but this is actually worship. You know what he goes on to say? I want you to tell the story of Mary for as long as you preach this gospel. Okay, so we've got Cornelius being remembered for his generosity. We've got Abraham owning everything the world has to offer because he understands one over 10 is actually everything to God. And now you've got Mary who looks like just a spontaneous moment, but she understands the process of heaven. When I break my best, I am blessed. I am blessed. And I don't wait until one day when I leverage the moment I have right now. And when I do, get this, friends, when I do, the fragrance, the fragrance of generosity fills the room. Fills the room. Let's be the church that fills the atmosphere with an aroma of generosity. No, no. This is precious to me, Dill. It was precious to her too. Dubs, you know, we kind of, I don't want to cry so much, man. Maybe it's because when Jesus wept, things changed. I don't know. Maybe crying counts. But um, Dubs and I were talking after the service and he said, Dill, Every time this church has been radical with its generosity, we've walked into uncanny abundance. Then it was 30,000 rand. There was another time. It was 500,000 rand. There was another time people sold cars to build this building. Some mortgaged their house. I think to myself, people must have thought they were crazy. 
But Jesus must have been sitting in heaven going, this is how I change nations, friends. If it ain't broke, break it, sir. I know you've built some wealth and I know you've got a perfect picture of what your life could look like, but if it ain't broke, break it to the glory of God. Pour out the most expensive treasures of your life. Pour out the best of what you have and watch God fill the atmosphere with His abundance. Come on, stand with me in faith. I've got nothing left to say. Jesus is in this place.